Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. How's everybody doing? You know, it's, it's pretty tough not to do good after worship like that. Can I just say I'm really proud of our worship team. I know they're back there probably debriefing and everything, but they, they're doing such a good job tilling the ground, pressing in. Like, um, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but uh, we don't worship our preferences. We worship Jesus. So I'm so thankful that we have a team that knows how to press in. So uh, my name is Jordan Deal. And I'm the Connections Leader here at uh, Rock City Church, and it's such a privilege to be with everyone today, filling in for Pastor David as he's at the Four Winds Music Festival with Jason Lee Jones and a lot of our friends over in Savannah, Georgia. So um, we're going to hit the ground running today, and uh, I'm going to pray just a second. I just ask you to give me grace as I'm delivering this word. Listen to me completely from beginning to end before you make a judgment call on the things I'm saying. Let me quantify some of these things. And, uh, but I'm just so thankful that I get to be here. Rock City has been such a blessing to me, to my family, and uh, changed my life. And I know it's changed many of yours, and it's going to change many generations to come. I believe that. So uh, let's pray together. Lord, I, I love you. So thank you. So thankful for your presence. So thankful that you're, that you're with me. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would help me deliver this word. Thankful for who you are. Thankful for what you do. We love and we appreciate you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So like I said, my name is Jordan, and I'm married to Ruth Deal, father to Selah and Emma Deal. Uh, my daughters are a little sick, so my wife is at home hi, watching right now. But uh, my role at Rock City is connections, and my goal is, our goal is to help get you plugged in and find where you fit in at Rock City, help you find out where you can serve, how you can be a part, find your community, because really that is how we give a full picture of the Godhead is how we serve one another, all right? So we want to help you find your place at Rock City, and, uh, and I, my journey here is long, and if you've heard our testimony, I would encourage, or if you haven't, I would encourage you to go back and watch Ruth and I sharing our testimony a few months ago. Um, it's somewhere on one of our Wednesday nights, and you'll be able to hear a little bit more about our story and how we landed here. But uh, I'm just going to go right in, all right? So Rock City, one of the things that I do when people are coming into Rock City and I'm introducing myself to people for the first time or I'm sending out some of our text messages or some of our correspondence, one of the first things I do is kind of the opposite of what I've, what I've kind of been told that you're supposed to do in Connections. And that's like, I'm not trying to convince people to come to Rock City. I'm actually trying to convince them maybe not to come. And the reason I'm doing it this way is like, why would you do that? Is because being here is aggressive. We're an aggressive church. Everything that we do is aggressive. Pastor David's aggressive. Our worship is aggressive. What we're doing is challenging. We are aggressive with sin. We are aggressive with anything that is harming you or anything that is contrary to the word of God. We are aggressive with it. And we are for a reason. So I tell people, like, listen, I tell them what Pastor David says to us all. Like, you don't really get to pick your church. You got to be spirit-led. And if the Lord's not leading here, you probably shouldn't be here because you're just going to get mad. But if the Lord's leading here, you better be here. You better get your butt here and figure out how to be a part. And so that's been my challenge. I'm just, I'm actually trying to convince people maybe not to come because it's going to be hard if the Lord's not on it. So we are aggressively taking on the kingdom of darkness. We are taking on sin, taking on the issues of our community. It's not nice time. It is go time. We are not called to be nice. We are called to be kind. Thank you, Kevin Leal, for showing this to us here at Rock City. The kindest thing we could do for someone sometimes feels like knocking them over the head. If you want to hear nice sermons, there's nice churches, and you can go to them, and that's okay. It's totally fine. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's a bunch of them. But if you want transformation or are tired of doing this thing on your own, you may have found home. We're not playing around, as Francisco said a few weeks ago. Lives are in the balance, lives are in the balance, so sorry, not sorry. So everything I'm about to say, I want you to hear my heart. I'm saying because I love you a lot. I love you with the love that Jesus loves you. 
So when you're trying to save someone who is dying, you're not so concerned about being nice about it. The kindest thing you can do is save someone's life. So if someone's drowning, you're not going to sit there and say like, uh, are you okay with how I'm pulling you out of this water? Are you, uh, while they're flailing about and, and water's filling their lungs, they're like, are you, is it okay if I grab you this way while I take you out of the water so you don't die? No, you grab them and you take them out of the water. And in lifeguard training, one of the things I always remembered a buddy of mine was telling me that when somebody is drowning and let's say they start flailing and getting crazy and they start pulling you down with them, sometimes the best thing you can do is hit them right in the face. Hit them right in the face. I know it sounds crazy. Hit them right in the face, shock them so you can get a chance to get them out of the water because they're actually killing themselves and they're going to kill you. If someone is choking, the kindest thing you can do is a violent Heimlich maneuver to get whatever's in their, in their esophagus out. I remember one time, I was telling the story in the first service, I was at Don Pablo's in Tampa, Florida, and I was much younger, probably like 11 or something like that, 12, and I was eating some chips and uh, some papitas and uh, um, some salsa, okay? And I'm like throwing down, and uh, as a young man, you know, you're growing, and I just threw down on anything I could see. I was inhaling the food and I literally uh, started choking on a chip and uh, some people were getting up. I was like choking for a while. I stood up and I could not catch my breath. It was lodged in my throat. And uh, this, this guy came up, this doctor, he's like, I'm a doctor, I can help out. And he was like, we can, you know, right before he was going to come give me the Heimlich maneuver, my dad just l- pulls back and whack, just slaps me on the back. And I'm like, Pugh! I just like throw it, throw it up. And I think my dad slapped me on the back was like, hurt worse than the choking. Like I was like, ah, dad, but it worked. If someone is coding and 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 their heart has stopped beating and they've stopped breathing and are about to die, the medic doesn't stop and ask if these chest compressions feel okay right now. As he violently is trying to jumpstart your heart back to life, he is being kind, but he's not being really nice. Trust me, you're gonna feel this later. It's gonna be sore. It may sting a little bit, but it's worth it if it saves your life. And this is what the rod and staff is all about. In Psalms 23, the same hand that brings correction is the same hand that brings protection. Rod and staff, what what does the rod and staff do? He says, your rod and staff, they comfort me. A rod and staff is to direct, protect, and correct. Are you following me? Your rod and staff, his rod and staff are to direct, protect, correct. So like when the sheep are going off the path, it's to direct them back onto the path. Stay on the path, buddy. When uh, an animal is coming for their sheep, what you do with that staff is you beat what's coming for them. You beat back those wolves. You beat back those bears. You make sure that those things stay safe. So it's to protect and it's to correct when the sheep is being dumb. It's right on the head. Don't do that. It's not the best move for your life. So you may be sitting there saying, like, Jordan, are you, are you about to judge me, bro? I feel like you might be a little bit judgy right now. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, I, I personally am not judging you. That's not my place. But every ideal is a judge, and Jesus' life is the measurement His perfect life shows us the ideal. Jesus himself is the ideal. This is why so many people hated Jesus and why so many people hate him now. It's his perfection. Because it's a mirror of who and what we were created to be. See, Jesus did not come to show us how God lives. He came to show us how man could live. So he was coming to show us who we were created to be, what we could manifest through him. That's why he had to die as us to get and to give us a righteous judgment that we did not earn, but we received by faith in Jesus. Judgment is for you. You want the judgments of God because anything that has value has to be judged as valuable. Only someone who has the right qualifications can bestow a real judgment. So this only comes by revelation and this is something I never thought I would say in my life. I used to hear people say, like, talk about judgment. I'd be like, man, that's the last thing you want is the judgment of God. But for a believer, for a son, what you want more than anything is for God to judge you rightly. 
I had an encounter last year uh, here at the piano. I'm playing, and it's during the Kevin Leal conference, and holiness hits the room. And I, the Lord, I have an encounter with the Lord. I don't know if you guys remember. I fall to my knees, and I'm playing piano above my head. And uh, Kevin Leal's like, you did a good job, Jordan. You need to do any more. And I stop, and I... And I, I'm able to stop playing. I had this encounter, and then I had this encounter with the judgment of God on my life. I saw the Lord, and I'm looking into his eyes, and I see a big burning fire, and he's looking at me, and he's smiling, and he's taking all my dead works from me. And he's taking them, and he's putting them into the fire, and he's looking at me, smiling, because it was bringing him joy to get rid of the dead weight in my life, because all my dead works were dead weight. And so, like, the thing is, is that, and this when I had an, I, it's hit me in this moment when I came out of this encounter, that all the judgments of God are for me, and they're to bring completion, to bring refinement into my life. It may be hot. It may be uncomfortable. It may not feel good when correction comes your way, but I'll tell you what, it's going to bring completion in your life. It's going to bring maturity in your life. So judgment is about bringing something to completion. Judgment measures, corrects, and protects. In Matthew 7, I didn't say this earlier, but like in Matthew 7, it says, judge not lest you be judged, because the measure in which you judge, it'll be measured back to you. You know what's awesome is the measurement is Jesus. That's how we judge. He did judge us. And we've been judged righteous because we have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, not in, of our works that any man could boast. It is all him. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but you get to put that on, and it's part of your inheritance in Jesus Christ. Is anybody thankful for that this morning? Ooh. In Proverbs 3, verse 12, it says, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the father, the son, in whom he delights. In Hebrews 12, five verses six through six, excuse me, he says, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he ch chastens everyone he accepts as a son. A real revelation, uh, a real revelation of disciplines and judgment being 100% for you would change the way you live your life. So instead of being upset, depressed, or offended when the Lord brings correction, whether that's through Pastor David, myself, any of the leadership here at Rock City or whatever, you will be excited because what was hidden has now been revealed and you don't have to hide anymore. Judgments and disciplines are the fruit of your sonship, are the proof of your sonship, and we embrace these things because we embrace sonship. So you may be here at Roxanne, you're like, man, I don't know if I was ready for this today. This is a lot. This is a lot. But the thing is, is because we love you, like the thing, we're saying these things because we want to see you to be mature sons and daughters of God. And if you want to be mature, you have to learn how to embrace correction in your life. So there's an invitation of Jesus into the Christian life to forsake all and die now. There is no halfway. It is either all the way or it is not at all. There is no middle ground because God fills up all the space. There is no place where he is not. God is normally exactly in the place where you refuse to look. He is normally wherever responsibility is being avoided or abdicated in your life. It says in Proverbs that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. He conceals and hides himself according to your maturity. So like when you're, when you're playing hide and seek with someone who's really, really little, like a little two-year-old, you hide behind a pole like this. I'm obviously a little bit bigger than this pole. Why? The point is to be found. That's the point of the game is to be found. So you hide differently according to maturity. But if, you, if you're 50 years old, I'm gonna try to hide a little bit different. I don't wanna be found by you. That's the whole point of the game. That's the tension of the game. That's the beauty of mystery. Because this beauty of mystery that draws you in, if you knew everything, you couldn't be God. If you knew where he was all the time, you couldn't be God. If you knew how to recognize him all the time, he couldn't be God to you. But when he hides according to your maturity, but he does want to be found. He wants to be found by you. 
because he's still enjoying playing with his sons and daughters. So he is normally wherever responsibility is being avoided or abdicated. Credits Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life, rule number four. Notice that opportunity alerts where responsibility has been advocated. The word responsibility in its broken down form means this, your responsibility. Or another way to say it is your ability to respond. Following Jesus and being a son of daughter comes with responsibilities. It is not easy. It is worth it. Something that really frustrates me that I get so frustrated hearing is like, Jordan, you know, I've heard this so many times. We don't want religion. We want relationship, bro. No rules for me. But what relationship are any of you in that doesn't have rules? How many of you are in a relationship with your wife that there's not some rules? relationship actually calls the rules higher, which is what Jesus is highlighting in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The thing is, Jesus is like, you say this, but I'm going to deal with your heart, bro. And your wife is constantly doing that for you. I guarantee you that, man. You said this, bro, but this is a heart issue. It's not what you did. It's the way you did it, right? It's not what you said. It's the way you said it, how you said it. You see, you see what I mean? These are heart issues, and, and nobody can point it out like your wife, guys. Oh, my Lord. Your wife is the Holy Spirit to you all the time. I'm telling you, bro, like I'm, so much. Your wife is the Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit, many times, it carries the effeminate noun uh, in the scriptures, carries up the effeminate side of God, the helper, the comforter, the one who comes alongside and says, no. <laughs> That's not the best idea you've had. Am I right? That is, that is not the best idea. And a lot of times it's the Holy Spirit manifesting through your wife. And it's good. So in the flesh, we can't do this thing. This is why Jesus spoke of the helper, the Holy Spirit, in John 14 and 15. And when Paul drove it home over and over again in his prison epistles and Romans 8 and many other places where he calls us to live life in the Spirit. So the Father never leaves us alone to do anything, ever. He supplies everything we need. He supplies all the ability you need to serve him so that you and others won't burn out. So I'm gonna pick up more on that, on the flesh versus the spirit in a minute. So that was a lot. That was the setup, okay, for what we need to talk about today. Because Pastor David, before he left, he gave me a charge. We've been working on a curriculum called Serve 101, which will be this, this new video that we just filmed for anybody who's coming in and wants to know the heart of serving at Rock City Church. So we developed a curriculum for this, and some of this is in there, some of it is not. But I'm gonna run through this. Hold on to your butts. You guys ready? Okay. All right. So I know that was a lot, but it maybe even feels a little bit intense, but this is a setup for what do I feel like the Lord wants to drive home. So... Understanding what the things I've been talking about, about judgment and correction, the reason I needed to start with that is because it will allow you to understand where I'm going with this and why, um, why this is so important. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be a servant. The title of my sermon today is this. You ready? Are you good and faithful or are you wicked and lazy? Are you good and faithful, or are you wicked and lazy? At Rock City, we have some of the best services that I've ever been in. Powerful times together. It's one of those things that draws people to our church. It's the presence of God. It rests in this place. I'll tell you right now, getting up here and preaching right now, so easy. Presence, easy. Because people have tilled the ground. Our intercessors have tilled the ground. Our worship has tilled the ground. It is in these walls, resonating. So th th that is one thing that's cool about having places dedicated to worship. Can God meet you anywhere? Yes, he can. But when a place is dedicated, <sighs> because there's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. God can get you wherever you're at, but when the Lord shows up as himself with a bunch of people, you cannot get that on a screen. You cannot get that outside of community. And so like, I'm telling you, like when you get in this room, I, my wife's watching it right now. I know it's probably, she, she can probably feel the Lord through here right now, but I'm telling you, in the room, it's electric. I can feel it in my bones. 
So the presence of God is in all of our services. And I'm thankful for that. I have a question for you to consider. Why do we call our gatherings services? Like when you come to church and you pick a service to come to, 10 a.m., 11.30, Wednesday, conferences, whatever, we have a corporate gathering that we refer to as a service for a reason. And I'm going to give the answer here. It's because it's supposed to be an act of service. So a question that I might would ask myself, if I came to a service and there wasn't an act of service on my part, was it really a service at all for me? Every church does basically three things in a service. And we all could pretty much guess what they are. Worship, offering, word. Pretty much anywhere you go, something like that will happen. Similar. Worship, offering, and the word. Something to notice about all these things is this, that they are all an act of service. They all involve giving. Worship involves giving to the Lord because he is worthy. So when you come in here and it's time to give to the Lord and you're like, this just isn't my jam. I I just don't really like this song. Good thing we're not worshiping you. This just isn't my flow. We, so most people worship their preferences more than they worship Jesus. Most people are like, if, if we don't sing a hymn, I don't know if he's the, oh man. <laughs> it's, it's like they, our pref, we worship preferences more than we worship the Lord himself. We worship our preferences to make them idle, and that's what we bow down to, is our preferences. But the thing is, is that, the thing is, is that he is worthy and when you give selflessly of your worship, I don't care if somebody's if Sister Ethel singing up here out of tune and out of key, or, or, or it's, we're singing Amazing Grace, or we're singing a prophetic song that got made up right now, like half that last service, okay? It doesn't matter. Enter in. Because he's worthy. Because he's worthy of your attention. The thing is, is that he's not begging for your attention. He doesn't need your attention. He just deserves all of it. He's not, he doesn't ask for our worship because he's needy or greedy. The Lord understands there's a principle of sowing and reaping, giving and receiving. If you can just shut up, lay down your opinions for a moment and give something to the Lord, even when you don't feel like it, it'll activate receiving. And you don't give to receive, you give because he's worthy and because he's worthy and so beautiful and so good, he turns it around and blesses your socks off. But that's not why you give. And if that's why you give, you already missed it and you won't be blessed, more than likely. Okay. (laughs) God, that was intense. Sometimes I say stuff and I'm just like, oh, Lord. Offering is giving of your money. And when you give your money, it shows that the money doesn't own you. It's you recognizing that he owns it all. And none of it was yours to begin with. We don't need your money. You need to give your money. And when you give, it activates the principle of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. And even right now, you're listening. If you've chosen in this moment to not tune me out and listen, you're giving me your ear. And I thank you for it. When you give David your ear, it's powerful because you're letting someone give to you so that you can receive. So by giving your ear, it opens you to receive. So for many, come to a service looks less like about what I can give, but it looks more like getting my fix or getting to the next meal. Did I get all I can get from worship or the speaker that day? For many, coming to service is about what I'm going to get out of it, not how I'm going to give to the Lord today and in what way can I find a new way to do it. How do I give something back to the one who's given everything to me? When we think only about ourselves, that's us trying to satisfy our flesh or just trying to receive our next meal and we are living in the carnal nature. Carnal means animalistic nature. And when we are living to satisfy the flesh and our desires, this is carnality. Many approach services this way. 
I just need to get to service today so that I can get what I need to make it through the week. And if you're living for the next service or the next gathering or your next piece of meat from Pastor David, you are living carnal, codependent, uh, pornographic lifestyle. Why is it pornographic, Jordan? Well, as somebody who is addicted to pornography, I'll tell you this. Pornography is looking upon the intimacy of someone else to receive your self-gratification because you're not willing to pay the cost yourself. So I, I, I told the Lord, there was different times I told the Lord, man, I'm not really struggling with pornography right now, but you just, the Lord, excuse me, the Lord gave me a word. He's like, Jordan, you, I'm gonna set you free from the spirit of pornography. And I said, well, I'm not really struggling with that right now, Lord. And he goes, yes, you are. Because you're living through the intimacy of others. Because you're not willing to go there with me. Because intimacy is not just the act of intimacy. It's doing the dishes, bro. All right, can we get real in here? Okay, so I had a buddy come over. I remember my first year of marriage, the Lord showed me something by revelation. I didn't earn it. I just got it. So I'm doing, uh, he came over to hang out. Ruth was at work. She was working full time. I was in school and working part time. And so she, she comes, uh, he comes to the house. They do, we're supposed to hang out. And I'm like cleaning the kitchen and doing some stuff. And I said, bro, you're not married. You don't understand what's happening. (laughs) And he's like, bro, you said we were going to hang. I was like, you don't understand. This is all foreplay. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, call me when you're married. You'll get it. Why? Because it's the work of intimacy. It's the work before the act. It's the work before the experience. Everybody lighten up, okay? Jeez. It's a joke with a spiritual principle. I said foreplay, and everybody's like, oh, he's not here anymore. (laughs) Come on. Y'all, y'all heard worse than that on TV last night. Everybody chill. <laughs> I know. So Galatians 5, 16 says this. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you do not do whatever you want. How many of you are married or any sort of relationship? You don't get to just do whatever you want. There's rules. Some of them are unspoken. Some of them are spoken. (laughs) So there is a way to approach service like the one we're in today. It's simple. It's to give. You're giving your time right now. Hopefully, if you're a mature son or daughter, you're giving your money. You're giving your worship and you're giving your ears. So the word minister literally means to serve in the Greek. If you are called into ministry, which all of you are, you are called to serve the Lord, to minister to him with your life, and there's no question about it. Everybody say this with me. I am called into full-time ministry. I am in full-time ministry. Everyone, all of you, you're all ministers, all of you. Jesus said, when you do it unto the least of these, it's as if you're doing it unto me. When you minister to your wife, when you minister to your children, when you minister to the people around you, when you minister, when you serve, when you serve, when you serve, when you serve, you are activating that principle. The thing is, you are doing it as unto Jesus. Jesus does not delineate or separate that. We do, because we separate what's sacred and secular all the time. And it's dualism, and it's division, Division just means division, two visions. That's what's happening in the church right now. There's two visions on the same Jesus. That's division. And that's why we need dove's eyes. That's why we need the eyes that can see him, eyes that are singular, because that's the only way you can get real vision for your life. 
If you want to break off division in, in yourself, Jesus prayed this prayer. Man, I wasn't planning on going here. That Jesus, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And it wasn't just a prayer for the body of the Christ. It was a prayer for you as a person that you would know what it looks like to be one. That you would know what it looks like to not be divided all the time. To not always, like, like who am the spirit, soul, body thing, and like I can't live in alignment with my spirit. No, your soul and your flesh can come in alignment with the spirit. You can live a divine life. You can be partakers of the divine nature. You can walk holy and be holy as he is holy, as he is right now. So are you in the earth. Oh, man. So I'm going to tell you a story. So I, I grew up in ministry, in technical term of ministry. Been on staff full-time in churches since I was 16 years old, and I, I bombed it, y'all. I bombed, I bombed a lot. I got bitter with the Lord. I got frustrated. I fell into sin. I, did, I didn't handle my wife right. I didn't handle a lot of things right. And so I entered into this season when I was coming out to Rock City where I'm not in ministry full-time for a paycheck anymore. And I get out here and I start working at a restaurant where I'm waiting tables, which I never thought I'd be doing. And it was really humbling for me. And, and I'm, I remember Tuesday night, right before I was getting ready to move into my position here at the church, we were starting Activate Conference. My first day was gonna be Wednesday. And my last night working at the restaurant full-time was gonna be on a Tuesday. And I remember that night, I, we had a big party and I like set up tables and um, did like, pulled out chairs, clean tables, pulled out tablecloths. And I remember thinking, oh, so good that I'm, I'm done with that for a little while. That's good. And then I show up, it's the first day of Activate. The first thing when I walk in the door, I think Jeremy and Marlene, they're like, okay, Jordan, the first thing we got to do for a conference is we got to set up some tables, pull out some chairs, clean them off and put on some tablecloths. And I was like, and, the, and, but you know, I started to get emotional because the Lord spoke to me. He's like, you thought it was different, bro. You thought ministry, you know, that, that was your dualism, Jordan. That was your division in you. You didn't know. See, like you were separating these things and like, there's no separation. We are just sons. You're sons when you're here and your sons when you leave. Your daughters when you're here, your daughters when you leave. So when you're, when you're with your weird boss who's chewing you out, you're just as much as a son as when you're here, profiting it out and getting, getting ghosted. You're, j- it, it, you're the same son. Oh, man. Woo! So, like, that's the thing, like, and I, and little side note here, like, waiting, this is what waiting on the Lord looks like now. Now I know this. Waiting on the Lord looks like what I, what I do when I'm waiting on tables. Waiting on the Lord is not a passive, lie down, hope he notices you. Waiting on the Lord is aggressive, continual, and looks like service. If you want to wait on the Lord to renew your strength so that you will mount up on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and shall not faint, if you want that kind of stuff, I dare you to start serving. Because that's what waiting looks like. It looks like what a waiter does for you. Waiting is active. It's passive. Very rarely in my life has the Lord told me to do nothing. It's not that he won't ever, but it's very rare, okay? Hear me. It's not that I'm saying the Lord will never ask that of you, but it's very rare. More than likely, if you don't know what to do next, get up and start waiting on people as if they're Jesus. I'll tell you right now, it'll accelerate the timeline. It'll accelerate the timeline on your life. So one of the things that breaks this cycle of living in the flesh and carnality in your life is embracing what it means to become a servant. It breaks the cycle of feeding your flesh and perpetuates the kingdom cycle of giving and receiving and sowing and reaping. So a zebra, when a zebra is out in the field eating, it's only concerned about eating because it only exists because of its animalistic nature to satisfy its flesh. And so as it's eating, what it doesn't notice is that lions just lie and chill. Just wait. Because the zebra is so obsessed with eating that it can't sense danger. 
So even if you're coming to church and you just obsess about receiving, 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 you're in the flesh. I'll tell you that right now. You're getting fat. I'll tell you that right now. Hear me. If, you're not, if you haven't learned how to give in your life, man, this is so hard. Please hear me. I love you. Please hear me. You're just, if you're just soaking it in, soaking it in, soaking it in, soaking it in, and you're not having found a way for you to be activated, how to find a way for you to give and give into the community, what ends up happening, you end up getting fat, you get passive, you're, and you're in your carnal, animalistic, fleshly nature, and you are open to attacks from the enemy like you have no idea. So, but as humans, like, because we're not, animal, we're not that kind of animalistic, we know what it looks like to be aware, to keep our head on a swivel, to do what we need to do and, and think about long-term, and that's a beautiful thing. In Acts 20, verse 35, you can turn there real quick. It says this, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. The kingdom of God has many patterns for us to emulate. One of those is the eternal principle of giving and receiving or sowing and reaping. So think about this, how you would use a bank account. First, you have to deposit, that's the giving part, into the bank account in order to receive or withdraw what you need and when you need it. So this is very, very simple. What we don't realize is that you have to make deposits if you want to have something to give, want something to use when you need it. That's one of the things that I love. Amber was speaking a few weeks ago. She talked about the daily deposits of time with the Lord. She goes, I don't always feel it. It doesn't always feel good, but I'm making deposits. What's cool about deposits is that when you need it, you have it. It's also like IRAs, accumulated interest that you sow, you sow, you sow. You don't always feel it. You don't always feel it in your time with the Lord. You don't always feel it every time you come to the church. But thank God this was not about you to begin with. So you just start to give and you start to give. You just start to give. You start to deposit. You start to deposit. You give of your time. You spend time with the Lord in the secret place. And what starts to happen is that when times, like right now in my life, when you need to put a demand on it, it is there for you. So the pattern is perpetuated specifically in this order. It's giving and then receiving. It's seen in every believer's life. We only have the opportunity to receive because someone gave his life up for us. In Mark 10, 25, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. And I said this in the first service. I always think of the meme. There was this meme that went around with Jesus breakdancing and it says the son of man did not come to serve, but be served. I mean, excuse me, not to be served, but to serve. And it's like him breakdancing. It's my favorite. I always think of that. I can't read that verse anymore. So Jesus started this pattern by giving his life to us We receive it as salvation and we continue this pattern by giving our lives in service to him and others. In Matthew chapter 14, there's this well-known story where Jesus feeds the 5,000 from five loaves of bread and two fish. In the natural, completely impossible. But as the disciples began to what? Serve the people, what was given to them, it multiplied before their eyes so much so that there was 12 baskets left full, full of food, enough for each disciple to have one of his own baskets full of food. So what does this mean? There's this term called FOMO. Has anybody heard this term before? It means a fear of missing out. There can be this fear in us that if we serve in the church or at Rock City, whether that would be in the media, greeters, ushering, children's ministry, any place, that we will miss out on what God has for us that day in church. But I'll tell you, that is a lie. The truth is that when you serve, you are continuing the pattern of giving and receiving and sowing and reaping and screw FOMO because you are not gonna miss out when you give. The word says in Proverbs 11, verse 25, it says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will be watered himself. Thank you, Father. You guys with me? Okay. I'm really a nice guy. I'm sorry if this sounds like a spiritual spanking. Okay. But I'm saying it because I love you. So with that said, serving according to Jesus in the scriptures is not just the work we do, but it's the heart in which we do it from. Serving in the court in the world is not the same as serving in the kingdom. Serving in the world is transactional. I work for you, you pay me in return. 
okay? Or another way to say it is I sacrifice my time now so that I can receive a form of payment later. Serving in the kingdom of God is different. It is not a transaction, but the natural response to being a part of the family of God. When we sacrifice, whether it be our time, money, work, or anything, we don't do it requiring a return of payment from God. We do it because solely he is worthy of everything we have to give. He is completely worthy of our worship which is what serving is. And the word worship is translated multiple times as literal, literally as a true, real act of service. So we don't, gain, we don't serve for personal advantage. People can feel that stuff, by the way. We don't give away, but we give away what has already been given to us through our inheritance in Jesus Christ. If according to Ephesians 1.3, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessings through Christ Jesus already. So we have everything that we need in order to serve residing inside of us through salvation. Romans 8, 17 says that we are co-heirs with Christ. This means that we do all that we do from our place as being a part of the family of God. Being co-heirs with him means that we rule with him from a position of servant of all. So Jesus showed us this with his life in Mark 9, verse 35. says, anyone who must be, wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So Jesus did not consider his position or status as the son of God as an excuse not to serve, but rather as his compulsion and reason to serve. Paul said, I, lo- I love this, this passage in Philippians 2, verse 3. You can read it with me. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. If you are, um, if your relationships with one another, in your relationships with one another, have this same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself and becoming obedient to death. Yes, even death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus. Is anybody glad that Jesus humbled himself, came to the earth and showed us what service looks like? All right, can I get some water if you don't mind? So I want to talk about something I didn't get a chance to talk about in the last service, and that is serving from your identity. And this comes from John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 13 in a minute. So it is so important for us to know the right way to serve. Jesus was constantly dealing with like how we do things and the place and whence we do them from. So in Luke chapter two, verse 52, it says that Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Jesus had to grow just like you. Jesus had to make choices just like you. Jesus had stinky 12-year-old armpits just like you. Jesus had to overcome every temptation common to man just like you. He had to make choices, and through these choices, he grew in favor and stature with God and with man. So even Jesus had to grow in his identity. I'll tell you right now, it's not very likely that Jesus fully knew who he was when he was six years old. Why? Because he was six. You grow into that. His body had to mature. His mind had to practically mature, had to learn to receive what the Lord was saying about him. It was a process. I know that may have offended some people, especially if you have a Catholic upbringing, but Jesus was a dude. He was a guy who had to grow. A lot of people think that he came out like of the womb, like shining, glowing, and he, and he literally was thinking in his mind, it's so good that all you peasants are here to visit me. <laughs> I am Jesus, king of the Jews, king of all things. You know what I mean? Like, it, that's just not what it was. He was, he, was, he was crying, freaking out. I know this is against, like, Catholic tradition, but just trust me, he was a guy. He was a dude. He was a baby. He grew in fat, favor and stature with man and with God. So let's look at John chapter 13 together. So this is uh, the famous 
Jesus washing feet. But I, I, I caught something to this when I was reading it the other day. This is right before they're getting ready to do communion, right at the Feast of Passover, right before he's getting ready to die. He's washing the feet of everyone, even Judas, the dude is about to betray him. Because even Judas had a place at the table. Even Judas deserved to be served in Jesus' eyes. John chapter 13 says this, verse three, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them down with a towel that's wrapped around him. Something I never caught before is that Jesus in this moment, says knowing the Father had given all things in his hands and knowing that he had come from God, knowing who he was as it was his empowerment to go lower than he had gone yet. Knowing who you are, knowing who you are, knowing your identity is what allows you when it's time to go low and do things that are kind of gross. I don't really, I'm, I ain't gonna lie, I don't really wanna wash people's feet that much. Especially back then. They had like sandals if they were lucky and they, it just, there was no sewage really done well. The streets were dirty, their feet were dusty. So when you got some feet that you're about to wash, it's not gonna be a little like American, you wear socks all the time, pour some water over your feet, we're good. It's like, and you know what I mean? Like nastiness, bro. And Jesus is like up in their feet. making their feet beautiful because all of them were about to carry the gospel of peace to all the nations. In verse 12, it says this, when he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also excuse me, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. Truly, truly, when he says it twice, he really means it. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. So Jesus, in this moment, the guy, so He's tempted, like, I'm telling you, Jesus was tempted all the time. Temptation is not sin. How you respond to temptation is what's sin. Jesus was tempted, not just when he was in the, in the wilderness with, with Satan. He was tempted all the time, just like you and me. But he sinned not. So he's tempted all the time. So can you imagine the temptation to be all like, let me tell you what would have been happening to me. Okay, I'm the son of God. And I left heaven. I've done really good up till now. We're going we gonna to do the foot thing too? I just don't know if I'm about it. That would have been my temptation. And I bet you it was his temptation to a certain degree. But he cast down that thought and did it anyway. I don't want to make assumptions. I said bet you. I, said, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't there. But I'm just telling you like how a normal person might would think. And Jesus was a guy. Onward. Serving is an obedience issue that reveals your heart and the depth of your discipleship. Serving Jesus and one another is one of the most basic yet important things in the Christian life. In John chapter 12, verse 26, I want you to read this with me. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the ones who serve me. So if you haven't learned to serve, the question is, is if you're following Jesus at all. That, that was way more ominous than I was planning. <laughs> but it's true. Following Jesus looks like service, and if you say you follow him, it will ultimately lead you to service. We don't serve because of a specific reward or recognition, praise, platform, money, whatever. We serve because Jesus is worthy and he himself is the reward. He is the reward. And the worthy is the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. 
Let's look at Luke chapter 17. So this would be the Passion Translation. I love the, the way that this says this. He says, Jesus continued, after a servant has finished his work in the field. This is a little parable that Jesus gives. He says, after a servant has finished his work in the field or with the livestock, he doesn't immediately sit down to relax and eat. No, a true servant prepares the food for his master and makes sure his master is served his meal before he sits down to eat his own. Does the servant expect to be thanked for doing what is required of him? So learn this lesson. After doing all that is commanded of you, simply say, we are mere servants, undeserving of special praise, for we are just doing what is expected of us and fulfilling our duties. Serving is an expectation for every believer, and it's also an expectation for everyone here. If you call Rock City home, it's an expectation. I'm not manipulating you into it. I'm just reading you the word. This is, the, this is, we want to correct, direct, show. So when, when you ask, when we ask for your help in any particular area, we don't just ask because there is a need or a position to be filled. We ask because we are trying to give you an opportunity to exercise this part of your walk with the Lord. Ultimately, we know that this is the best way that we can help lead you towards becoming a mature son and daughter of God. When you serve, whether at Rock City, your family, your friends, the rich, the poor, you are not doing this for anyone other than Jesus himself, and he is responsible for giving you an inheritance. Colossians 3, verse 23 says this, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You're not working for us. When you serve in kids' ministry, you're not working for us. When you serve in ushering, when you work in the booth, when you do anything, you're not doing this for us. You are doing it as unto the Lord. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. All right, how's everybody doing? You know I love you, right? You hearing me? <laughs> All right, we're going to end with the, these last few verses. If you can turn to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. There's this parable, that's a very popular parable, called the parable of the talents. Has anybody ever heard this before? So talents, for those of you who don't know what it is, um, it's going to be just a form of currency. There's debate on how much it means, but it doesn't really matter. You'll get the picture as we read it. All right, talents. I also like the word talents in relation to the actual word that we use in the English, English language for talent, your talents. You'll see the metaphor as we start to read these things, but it's, it's multi-layered, multi, uh, multi but we'll start at verse 14, okay? And this is, I'm just going to read through this, and I might pause a couple times to highlight a couple things. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And, the one he get, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to another one. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug into the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after, the, after a long time, the Lord... Of, this, of those servants came and settled the accounts with him. So he, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He who had also received two talents came and said, Lord, you deliver me two talents. Look, I gained two more. And besides them, he, uh, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things and I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I know you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, 
there you have what's yours. So there's a few things that are taking place here. Number one, you can see that this servant had a warped view of his Lord. He goes, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. The first thing he says to him is an excuse and tells him, and he blame shifts, just like in the garden, excuse, blame shift. I excuse, this is my excuse, and I'm gonna blame you. Or I'm gonna blame this woman you gave me. Or I'm gonna, you see what I'm saying? Excuse, blame shift, excuse, blame shift. This is what a pattern, okay? So he says, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. That's a weird thing. That was a euphemism uh, in their culture, in the, in the Hebrew culture, in the Aramaic. It would have been a, a phrase used to, to describe basically someone who, you're just hard, bro. You're, just, you're known for being hard. And there's a lot of people who have a relationship with the Lord and they just look at him as like, you're just hard, man. This is just too hard. You're too hard on me. The expectations are too high. And gathering where you have not set or seed, and I was afraid, that's another big key. Fear was his motivation to bury his talent. Fear of failure, fear of whatever, fear of, the, fear of the master himself, fear of loss. So this fear, he was afraid, paralyzed him and caused him to bury what was given to him. Verse 26, and his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposit, you sort of just ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would receive them back with, with interest. So I wanna talk about that for a second. So the, the, the Lord tells him like, listen, I have, scat, I have he, he goes, basically, he, he doesn't say that that's the way he is. He says, you wake and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Let me tell you how I hear that when I hear the tone. It's like, if that's what you think about me, really, if you were actually afraid of me, you still should have even responded better than the way you responded. If you said you were actually scared of me, then at least you could have put my money with a banker and I would have at least received interest. Uh, in the Aramaic, so the Greek says bank, but in the Aramaic and the Hebrew, it actually translates as, I wish you just would have gave it in an offering because at least I would have received the blessing back from an offering. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. This is very, very key. This is a very hard thing to translate. I'll do my best. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I just wanna clarify that a little bit. And we're, we're gonna wrap up here. The implication of this parable is saying this. The one who has a heart of a faithful servant or, or is faithful in his stewardship will be given more to manage. And the one who has very little, whether that's very little of faithfulness, wisdom, or integrity, will lose the little ha that he does have because he can fail to manage those things. So my question is, who are you in the story? Are you the good and faithful servant or are you a wicked and lazy servant? Are you stewarding what's been given to you? Are you stewarding your time well? I encourage you guys, whenever you have a service, be eager to serve. Whenever we have a service here, be eager to serve. Be eager to give your worship. Be eager to give your ear. Be eager to give your money. Be eager. That's, she was just, that's what she was saying. She's like, let's get excited. Why? Be eager to do this. Because we know, we know as leaders in this house, we know that this is activating the principle of sowing and reaping in your life. That's why we're excited. And that's why we're inviting you along for the journey. Because we've seen this in our lives time and time again. It is the principle of the kingdom. 
So when we invite you to serve, when we say that, hey, we have places in children's ministry for you to serve, when we say, hey, we have places out in the hallway for you to serve, in the media booth and all these different things, when we say this, we are inviting you into participating in the kingdom of God. We are not begging you to come serve because we have need. No, you have need and we have an answer for you. I'm telling you, like, like I started my whole, my whole ministry life started in children's ministry. And the ones, if you can do it under the least of these, the Lord has a, a huge affinity for children. This is not just because Melody's sitting here. I'm just telling you, I know in my life. It would be cool to get a taco though later. <clears throat> just kidding. But I know in my life, like I started start off serving in kids' ministry, serving in, in Sidewalk Sunday School, serving, doing everything I could possibly do to reach children. And I've reaped harvest for a long time in my life. Things I didn't deserve. Opportunity I didn't deserve. Things coming together that shouldn't have come together. And I know, I'm convinced that a lot of it had to do with just doing it under the least of these, doing it under the children. That the Lord values them so much. All right. I'm going to wrap up with these. So excuses. No more can we say that that's not my responsibility. Okay, really? So you're saying you don't have the ability to respond. If you do have the ability to respond, then it may be your responsibility. It may not, may not be for forever, but maybe for now. No more can we throw out the excuse of that I don't have the grace for that. Really, bro. My grace is sufficient for you. You may not have the grace, but he does. Aren't you thankful that when the Lord saw you, he didn't look at you and say, I don't have the grace for that. <laughs> I'm so glad the Lord didn't look at me that way. All the times I'm gonna just, I, I've bombed it and he's like, Mm, I just, mm, I don't have a grace for this one. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. You may say, I don't have time. Well, what you treasure reveals your heart. How do you really want to spend your time on things that are eternal, on things that are gonna disappear? Matthew 6, verse 19 says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where you put your time shows what you treasure. Where you put your time, how you sow your time, shows what you value. So when you give your time to anyone, it shows where your heart is. This is the last verse I wanna end with. In 1 Peter 4, verse seven, one of my favorite verses on serving. It says, offer hospitality, excuse me, verse nine, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift has been, you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in his various forms. If anyone speaks, then you should do so as, the one who, as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him the glory and power forever and ever, amen. So the thing is, is that if you're gonna speak, if you're gonna open up your mouth, do so as if God himself is speaking through you. If you're gonna serve, do it with every ounce of strength that God provides because he will provide it. And when you do it, it brings all attention back to the Father. It brings all attention back to Jesus and only the Holy Spirit can help you do it. So if you can stand with me today. If you're new, if this is your first time, I stand by what I said. We're aggressive. And we're aggressive because we care. And I refuse to let any cancers in your life live. We're gonna root it out. We're gonna cut it out with Jesus because 
He's worthy of everything we have to give. Because we love you, we can't leave you there. So my question for you today, if you just want, you can close your eyes if you want, however you connect with the Lord, I don't care. But the question I have for you today is, are you a good and faithful servant or are you wicked and lazy? Are you good and faithful or are you wicked and lazy? And I'll say this, this may not be in every area of your life. There might be some areas that you've been good and faithful in be some areas you've been wicked and lazy in. I'll tell you right now, I have some areas I've been wicked and lazy in. Start with me, Lord. Identify them. Ask the Holy Spirit. I just asked you to identify the areas of our life where we've been wicked and lazy. We're not giving you a return on what you've given to us. You deserve it. Worthy to receive the reward of your suffering. I'm sorry. All you got to do is do what I just did right then. Repent. Repent for being a wicked and lazy servant and lean into being a good and faithful servant. Good and you want to hear that. You know what? I'm a, so frustrated with putting everything that we want from God at the end of our life. I want to hear good and faithful servant now. I want to hear it now. I want to hear him whisper it to me in my ear when I wake up in the morning. You're doing good, son. You're doing good. You're well done. Good and faithful servant. That is not for the end of your life. It's for right now. It's a now word. And you can live in it. You can function in it. You can be it. So, Lord, I just ask, Lord, if there's anything in us that's been wicked and lazy, we repent right now in the name of Jesus. And I ask for the strength and the wisdom and the tenacity to be a good and faithful steward of all that you've entrusted us with. We love and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.